I hope you're having a Merry Christmas, maybe. But I suspect that it's not going the way you would have expected. Doesn't it seem like, uh, if you're like me and our family, there's interruptions to the normal, maybe surprises, maybe disappointments. Each day seems to hold new opportunities for such things. That happened recently to one of our members who is actually trained in the medical profession. Uh, about a week and a half ago, she came down with COVID-19 and remains hospitalized even this morning. Thankfully, she's being weaned off oxygen, but still suffering. And I asked her yesterday, what fears have you been experiencing in your heart? And this is what she said, fear of the unknown, fear of my own mortality, and fear for my son and not wanting to leave him alone. Fear surrounds the original Christmas story, too. Last week, Pastor Jin reminded us of Joseph's life that was invaded by fear, and today we're going to look at Mary and her story, who as a young teen who was pledged or betrothed to be married to Joseph, um, that's the setting that we're all familiar with. I just remind you that the, the engagement of yesteryear in the Bible is not exactly the same as what we have today because back then the Jewish custom meant that there was an actual written contract made between the husband-to-be and the wife-to-be and their families, and they already had set a date about a year ahead for the actual wedding to happen. Those plans are about to be interrupted. Luke chapter 1 is our passage today. You heard it read at the Advent reading, and uh, so thankful for the Bernhards who are out there shining a light if you don't know about them. Um, uh, more to say there, but not right now. Luke chapter 1, if you have a copy of the Scripture, verse 26 is the beginning of the story, and I'd like to read the first few verses. The scripture says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel Gabriel, the same one who is the messenger angel many times in Scripture, comes with the greeting of, you are highly favored, Mary. And that word favor is our word for grace. Grace. 
God has poured his grace out on you, Mary. And someone years ago said, she is not the mother of grace, but she is the daughter of grace. I remind you, this is how God always works, right? He begins the relationship with people who don't deserve it. Not the other way around. It's not like God is looking for people who are worthy, and then he meets them. Actually, he equips them with his grace. And Mary's response, though, sounds a little surprising, doesn't it? I mean, it says she's greatly troubled by this greeting, by his words. And I don't know, when I read it, I said, well, it, it almost seems wrong to be afraid of an angel of God who's coming with this, could we say, good news. But I think the problem is with me reading it that way. (laughs) We've forgotten who Mary is. She's a nobody teenager from a nobody town who sees and hears from an angel of God. This uh, Jewish girl would have known her Bible stories of angels coming to people. And when you read about it in Scripture, they didn't come just to have a nice, quiet chat. And remember, Mary didn't know the Christmas story like we do. So that leads to the next part of the story where the angel quiets her fears. Look at verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have no end. So the first thing he says to her, knowing her fear, is, don't be afraid. But he doesn't stop there. He gives the reason why. He says, because, like I said a few seconds ago, you are highly favored. You are the object of God's grace. You have found it in God's sight. This is not reason to fear and run away. This is a reason to rejoice and come close. To receive God's grace is kind of... uh, a a compact way of saying that God has come near, not just to forgive your sin, Mary, but to give you himself, to bring you all of him and his benefits, to be under the umbrella, the protection, the relationship with the Almighty is here. It's established. And that apparently eases her fear, knowing that God is now with us. And can I remind us, that's the one reality that banishes fear or that starts to put it in the background, knowing that you are not alone, knowing that the fear that is overwhelming is smaller than the God who is. 
and who is on our side. Another way to say it better would be we are on his side. Now, Mary is next told the reason for God bringing her into this relationship of grace. And we know the story. She didn't. But here it is once again. She's the one who's going to bear the promised messianic king of the world. This is huge. It was promised thousands of years earlier in the Garden of Eden where Eve was told that one day her descendant would bear the serpent crusher, the one who would break the the life and the power of the one who brought sin into this world. And she's the one. The prophets predicted it, and she is the one. She is the one to bear the Son of God, as he's described here, fully divine and yet fully human, in the line of David, the one that was promised kingly rights. Now, we've got to remember that Mary is an important person in Scripture, and she should be honored, but not as the queen of heaven or the co-mediatrix of Christ or as an object of prayer and veneration. No, but we should look to her as a godly example of one who was chosen by God to bear the Son of God. Did you ever think that she is really like the second Eve? If Jesus is the second Adam, it's this woman whose faith and obedience turns the whole story around. The early church looked at Mary as that one in God's program who fulfilled the promise of the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And how does Mary take all this in? After being reminded that she's an object of God's grace and that God has this amazing plan for her, look at verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? You hear how she responds? She doesn't argue, or she doesn't uh, maybe run away in more fear, because the angel keeps speaking these amazing words, or she doesn't even protest this biological impossibility. She quickly processes it and then comes up with a very intelligent question. It seems like her initial fear is replaced with an understanding faith. So she comprehends, right, this logical impossibility of such a birth, and and she vocalizes this question. Well, all right, if God has graced me and I will become pregnant, that doesn't make sense. Much like Abram, her ancestor, who said, God, You've told me to take the life of my son, but you do not approve of human sacrifice, let alone sacrificing the very son that you gave me. I don't understand that, but my heart is not one of protest 
or fear, but of quiet submission to your word. I just don't understand that. So what does the angel say next? He answers a question in verse 35. Here's the way the story ends. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So the angel says that you got a good question, and I'll tell you. <laughs> it's, it's not a scientific answer. It's a mysterious answer. In fact, it uses a word here, overshadow, that's only found one other time in the Bible. And it's back in the book of Exodus where God left heaven and came to the tabernacle and his presence overshadowed the holy of holies. What we have here is this mysterious and miraculous description of a virgin conception. Might I remind us all that this shows that human life begins at conception. Any attempt to end that life prematurely for selfish reasons is sin. And the Son of God entered this world at the second of conception. And then the angel encourages her. You know your relative? Elizabeth? And she probably says, yeah, but at least she's married. But of course, she hasn't been able to have a baby. And the angel tells her, oh, it's now the sixth month, which is when women would come out of hiding, so to speak, and reveal themselves. <laughs> Talk about a reveal party. Well, they did in the ancient world, but they waited. And the rest of Luke describes Mary's visit to her, remember where her little baby leapt in her womb when she meets the Blessed Virgin here. So what an encouragement. The same God that caused a husband and wife to conceive who couldn't is the same miraculous God who will cause you to conceive even without a husband. And then Verse 37 concludes with a truism. How beautiful. No word from God will ever fail. I think that translation is most accurate to the Greek there. No one of God's words will ever be impossible to fail. And what the angel said is what Mary confessed in the final verse where she said, I am the Lord's servant. 
may your word, that's the same word in Greek as in the previous verse, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. You see how her fear is now replaced by faith. She sees the goodness and the glory of God, and she hangs on to that hope by standing on the promises, by trusting in the word of a trustworthy, faithful God. You know that story if you celebrated Christmas before. What's your story look like? Just as Mary was chosen by God to bear Jesus physically in her body, do you know those who place their faith in Jesus, Christians, are actually bearing Christ in our hearts? You ever thought of that analogy? I didn't make it up. Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is really mixing his metaphors there. Paul is the one who's having the labor pains, but the baby, or Christ, is being formed in believers. Well, it's a metaphor. So Mary bore Jesus physically, we bear Jesus spiritually. And my question today is, how's it going with that same fear that Mary encountered, the same fear that I know is and has been and will come to your heart? Could I encourage you this Christmas to be like Mary? to ask our fear a question, to realize that God has graced us, God has brought us into his favor, and fear is not part of that equation, which means that you can talk to it. Fear is not our identity. Fear is an outsider in the identity of a Christian. You know what it is to talk to your fear? (laughs) You talk to yourself, don't you? Well, I think you do, because I think you just asked yourself that question. (laughs) I didn't hear it, but I know it, because I asked myself the same question. I think I did. Yes, I did. (laughs) See? We all do it. So do it to your fear. Verbalize it. It's outside of you. That's what Mary did. And then, most of all, trust in the Word of God. And remember what the angel said? It wasn't just, here's the Word of God. It's, take a look at your relative Elizabeth. The same God who's doing a work in you is also working in other people. And so, this morning, I'd like to talk about five people in our Chelton family that uh, I asked the question this week, what's your fear 
right now, what is your fear today? One or two. And how are you meeting that fear, if you are? Now, I told them all they would be anonymous. When I tell you some of these stories, you'll no doubt know some of them. I'll start first with an email that I was attached to that has been going on for about two or three weeks. This um, woman in Chelton, her husband and both go to Chelton, he has been in a hospital downtown with a very serious medical need. And this week, she learned, because of the protocols now, that she cannot be with him. Emails are going back and forth, updates and encouragements, and one of our elders, Jim Pittman, wrote to her, encouraging her from a part of Scripture. And this is what she wrote back to him yesterday. Thank you, Jim, for your email with the encouraging Bible verses. That passage was what I planned to write in tomorrow's letter to my husband. Psalm 46, which says, God is our strong refuge. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. Psalm 46 is one of my favorites, and I memorized them in Chinese when I was a teenager. The word of God brings peace to the soul. Second person, it's almost like I'm asking people to come up on stage here and give their testimony, right? So here it is. This comes from a single lady in our church. I asked her what is her greatest fear. She said, fear of aloneness. She has no spouse, no children, no immediate family in the area. In fact, she just heard this week about one of her close family members moving out of state. And when I said, how is it with you? Um, a few Sundays ago when I saw her here, she said, horrible, through her mask. And you know how you can interpret people's eyes as if you could read their whole souls. I loved her transparency. And then she went on to tell more of what was going on. But I knew that beneath that horrible was an anchor of faith and hope. And so yesterday she said to me, I lean on Psalm 139 that says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. And then when I was about to hang up, she said, oh, and then there's Ephesians 2, verse 10, that says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's me. It was, I didn't give people two hours to research this. I said, what is it? If you can tell me now, or I'll call back later. And all of these people responded right away. Why? Because deep down in their soul, the word of God was planted. 
Third is a younger couple, and they said it's fear of financial difficulties. And they admitted that their first instinct is not to run to a promise of God, but to run to fix it or to run away from it, to displace it, do something else, make it go away. But they were both on the phone with me, and they said that they go back to Psalm 23 and Philippians 4 that says the peace of God will guard our hearts. And then once again, before I hung up, they said, oh, she said, there's one more thing. I know the way it's all going to turn out, which is another way of saying what we heard today. Jesus is coming again, and there will be no virus, there will be no fears, there will be total perfection, and the ultimate hope of the new creation pulls us there, out of our fears. Fourth. This young couple has children, and they said it was the fear of just the general pressures of life in caring for little kids and school and all that that brings, as well as caring for parents on both sides. And they find encouragement by looking at how God answered their prayers in the past. Isn't that good? And then they said, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, so that we may say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The fifth sister is the one that I told you about when I started, the one in the hospital. And I remind you that she said, my fears are of the unknown and my mortality and the fear that her son would be all alone if she left. And then I said, what are your greatest helps? And she said, having the great hymns of the faith come back to me as I sing them again in my heart. She said, especially in Christ." alone. And she wrote down the words, I, talk, I emailed her, didn't call her on the phone, when f where fears are stilled and striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. You know, it's one thing to have the Christmas carols play, and that's good, and that's right, and there's so much in them. But the Christian hymnody and musical selection hopefully is part of your imagination and memory so you can call on it when needed. And then she said, joining a weekly Zoom prayer meeting from my hospital bed at 9 a.m. every morning has helped to push the fears away. And the Lord, she said, has used all this to bring me such peace. The only reason that our sisters and brothers can find rest is because of the one who was conceived in Mary. The one who, like his mother said, not my will, 
Let yours be done. As we come to the Lord's table, um, you realize that Jesus' birth was a miracle for sure. You realize Jesus' life was a miracle as he obeyed God perfectly and did good to everyone around him. You realize that Jesus' death was a miracle, not because he died on a cross as other common criminals did, but because he defeated the powers of sin and death and Satan. And by doing that, he bore in his own body the punishment that sinners deserve. You realize that his resurrection was a miracle, reversing the old creation's normal way of taking matter into nothingness and decay. We're part of the story of an ongoing miracle. So let's prepare to feast on the body and the blood of the one who was born in straw and a feeding trough. I peel back the top layer of what we have here in our hands, if I can do it right. Not meaning to spoil the holy moment. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Praise God for this sort of technology that allows us to do it. But in that sense, that's what God has chosen. He came to Nazareth. And he comes to plastic cups and to wafers. And he meets us here. Because Jesus said, this bread is my body. And he broke it for us. And he said, eat it to remember me. Let's do that now. And in the same way, he took the wine of that Passover meal. And in the cup, he said that the fruit of the vine represents his blood that was poured out on the cross in just the next few days, and that this would be the way that he would atone for the sins of the world, like the Passover lamb's blood atoned for the sins of those in that home. And he said, drink it in remembrance of me. Our God, we thank you this morning for giving us these physical emblems, signs of the reality of our Savior Christ. Thank you that he came, and thank you that when he came, Mary walked through her fears and bore your son in a miraculous way by your grace. Thank you that your grace has come to us, undeserving sinners,
and you have placed Christ in our hearts by faith. And we pray that we would continue to see him formed as we displace our fears with the truth of your word. We rejoice. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.